So I was telling John, who brought the stand up here, we were sort of laughing. I only get to preach a couple times a year, and every time I preach, I do something wrong, and we make like a process improvement to the church. That's why John and them now agreed to stand up, because I once set the stand like right there, and I preached off to the side, like the whole sermon, and nobody, you know, I didn't know. So every time I'm up here, they, they make a process improvement because of me. I, I only preach a couple times a year, but I've, I've made a lot of process improvements. Um, my name is Micah Tyson, for those who don't know. I'm one of the congregational elders here. Our main teaching pastor, Mark, is currently overseas, somewhere in Southeast Asia right now. Um, we've got a mission team going over there to serve some churches that are helping to plant churches in, these, in this country. And so we're praying for them. We're excited. They're in the country. They're still trying to get to their final destination, I think. But they've had a day delay. Uh, so it's just been a lot getting there. But we are praying for them. I, like I said, I preach a couple times a year. I guess I'm part of the teaching team. We probably need a more fancy name for that. I don't know. That's, that's what we got, teaching team. It's simple, right? And, and I've got to be honest with you. I am a big fan, a big fan of inheritances. Big fan, right? Because you do nothing and you get something. This is the greatest deal in history. Here's how they work. If you don't know, here's how they work. Some family member spends all their life saving, working, investing, sacrificing, they die, you're still alive and they leave it to you. You did nothing for it. Absolutely nothing. All you did is keep breathing. That's literally all you've done so far to earn it. It's the greatest deal open. I, I, I do hope, like I hope I got that sort of rich uncle out there waiting on me, right? I don't know about, but I sort of hope that he's out there, a rich aunt. You know, pro tip, if you want to know, pro tip. You should probably talk to your crazy aunt or uncle at your family reunions because nobody else is, right? So you're just like, may the odds ever be in your favor, right? Like pro tip, right? You, you may want to talk to them more. But for real, they're pretty good. And they actually are biblical. They're actually mentioned in the Bible as something a good man will do. And, and it's a sign of a mature Faith that you could even leave an inheritance to a degree because you've lived a life of sacrifice where you haven't consumed everything you've made. You live below your means. You've saved, right? These are signs of a mature faith or mature walk in life. And certainly there, I'm going to share a verse here in a second from Proverbs. And certainly some would argue, well, this verse means you should share uh, a, your faith, an inheritance of faith or an inheritance of common sense. Man, that's a good inheritance in today's time, right? An inheritance of common sense. And certainly those are all good things. But I do think this verse, the context of this verse, as I've studied it and looked it up again, is an inheritance of wealth that you've lived, built up through godly living as you handle your money and so this is what the verse says it's from proverbs thirteen twenty two, and it says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous so you see that difference there in what a good man does and what a sinner does right a, a good man saves it up over time leaves it up to his grandchildren but a sinner Spends everything and the righteous takes his wealth from him. As he spends everything, he consumes everything. His righteous will take, the righteous will take his wealth from him. But here's the sad thing about inheritances. And you've all seen this. How many times do they tear apart a family? 
How many times have we seen families break apart over an inheritance? Because someone got more, right? My, my brother got more than I did, and so I'm mad at him for that. Or I didn't get anything, and now I'm really mad. If you want to have fun, tell them you're not giving them anything before you die so you can watch the circus, right? If you really want to have fun. But this is where families break apart. Here's the funny thing about it, though. Whose was it to begin with? Why are you mad when it was never yours to begin with? Whose is it? Whose is it? It's not yours. You didn't do anything to earn it. Well, all we said is you simply kept breathing. You didn't die. You didn't earn it. You didn't save for it. You didn't sacrifice for it. It was never yours. Isn't it the height of selfishness to be angry over someone else's generosity? Isn't that the height of selfishness? And guess where we're at today with Jonah? He's angry about God's generosity. Isn't that crazy? He's mad about it. He's angry over it. So a reminder of where we've been so far in Jonah. So we can build up the context of where we're at today. So God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah goes completely the opposite way. And God says, oh, no, you're not. He brings a storm. They toss him overboard. He gets swallowed by fish. He gets vomited back up on the shore by fish. And God says again, you're going to go to Nineveh. And Jonah goes, okay, I'll go to Nineveh. And God says, you're going to proclaim my words to them. Okay. He gives us the worst presentation of salvation in the history of the Bible. What does he say? 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. There's no mention of God. There's no mention of repentance. There's no mention of how to get saved. There's no mention of how to get away from it. It is the worst presentation of the gospel of salvation ever. What does God do? I'm going to save a bunch of people through it. You were terrible, but my, I'm good. I'm going to save over 100,000 people by your terrible presentation of salvation. From the poorest all the way up to the king. We're saved from their destruction and turned to God by the worst presentation ever. Man. Now, if that was me, maybe I'd do as terrible of a job as Jonah today and God still saves somebody. I'd be like, woo, awesome, God. I'm glad you used broken vessels to do great work, right? I would be celebrating over this that over 100,000 people from the poorest to the king are saved. And I didn't even do all that much, to be honest. Man, I hope, I hope one day we can look back and from churches we plant, ministries we partner with, and people we reach out to that we can say, man, say over 100,000 people were saved through what God did through provision. How cool would that be? Would that not be a celebration? Right? I would, man, I'd be celebrating it. So Jonah sees what God does, sees all these people saved, and what does he do? He throws this huge party to celebrate. Nope. Nope. Not a bit. Not a bit. 
Again, this is a pattern with Jonah. He does a full 180 from what he should do. He should celebrate. Instead, he gets angry. He should have gone to Nineveh the first time. Instead, he went as far away from Nineveh as he could get in the known world. He does a complete 180 when, when he should be celebrating. And so we're going to get into this. This is in Jonah 4 today. We're just doing the first four verses. Mark was really kind of me. I feel like Mark gives me a lot of verses sometimes, and I talk a lot, so it's hard to get through them all. But today he was really nice to be. He gave me four verses, so now I'm just going to talk a lot. Um, so here's the verses we're going to be in today. Jonah 4, verses 1 through 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Let me pray over this. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord. And we pray that our hearts are humble, that we will recognize, Father, that we all have these these kind of emotions in us, that we do complete 180s from what we should. And that, Father, we are a people like Jonah who do not celebrate what you celebrate, who do not follow after what you follow, who do not have your heart at times. Instead, we have hard hearts. And so, Father, I pray as we were studying through this, you convict us as we're walking through this of where we behave and act this way. But, Father, also that we'll see your goodness here and see your greatness in these verses, even, even in our hard-heartedness, that we can see your character and your gentle shine, gentleness shine through this. Father, convict us, teach us here as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. So in, first, in verse 1, in the first part of verse 2, we see Jonah's hard heart. And so that's the first fill in there on your sheet. Jonah's hard heart. That Jonah said... But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This should be a celebration that the people were saved. And instead, Jonah's mad about it. He, He is mad that God has saved an unbelieving people from their destruction. He's mad about it. He's mad about it. They were a sworn enemy of Israel. And yet God, in his goodness, he still had a heart for them and wanted them to be saved, even though they were enemies of his people. And here's the beauty of this verse. God hasn't changed. He's still doing this today. He is still doing this today. People who are enemies of him, he is still reaching out to save today. Look at Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Everyone in here, everyone in here has been like the Ninevites, dead in their sins. Destruction is coming and we're blind to our fate. We have all been there. We didn't even know destruction was coming is where we were at. We were blind to it. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. Now, some of you are like, man, this is too early for a gospel presentation. You got to wait till point three. Now, I'm going to do this right here because this is the God we serve. This is our God that we serve. He is reaching out to dead people in their sins right now in our communities, on our campuses, in our workplaces. This is our God right here. He doesn't wait till you get good enough. He's not going to wait on Wingate's campus to get good enough. He's not going to wait on your workplace to get good enough. He's not going to wait on our government to get good enough. Thank God. Right? He's not going to wait on these things. He doesn't need your good works to save you. How could you even do enough good works to save you? You didn't even know your destruction was coming. You were blind to your sin. You didn't even know destruction was coming. How could you do good enough works? You were incapable of overcoming your sin. And that might just be where you've walked into here today at. Not even seeing it coming. Incapable of overcoming your sin. And you may, and I've been there before, y'all. You may feel stuck in your sin. But I'm telling you right now, God is not stuck in your sin. He's not stuck in your sin. He's not stuck by what you've done. He's not stuck by the bad things you've done. Even now, he is calling to you to save you from your destruction. Isn't that your testimony? Can't everyone in here who is a Christian say that God called to me and saved me from my sin, saved me from my destruction? I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you've done, but I do know today can be the day that you repent and say, yes, Father. Yes, I want to follow you. Yes, I trust you. Yes, I believe Jesus is the truth. Yes, I believe he went to the cross and he died in my place for my sins and saved me by his good work, not my good work, by what he did on the cross. He went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice in my place. And I want to follow you forever, my Lord. That can be the response right now, today. I pray that's today because God is in the business of saving those who don't deserve saving. So if you've done something bad, God will still save you. That is what Jonah shows us. That God is in this business. He did it with Nineveh and he can do it with you right now. That's the gospel. Jesus in your place as a perfect sacrifice. If you're feeling that calling, don't wait on me to say something perfect. Grab someone. Go talk to them. Don't wait on me. Respond to that calling if you're feeling that calling right now. And if that today is today for you, I promise you we'll celebrate it. All right? We're going to be like Jonah. We're going to be mad at you. I promise you we will celebrate with you if you hear the Holy Spirit calls on you and pursues you and is wooing you and you say, yes, Father. Man, we're going to celebrate. But Jonah... He ain't celebrating. He ain't celebrating. He's angry at God about it. He's mad about it. And the best part of verse 2 is he prays to God to let him know he's mad at him about it. He's angry about it. That's his prayer. Right? And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this why I said when I was yet in my country? He's like, God, this is why I didn't want to go. I didn't want you to save them. I'm mad about it. It seems hard to believe, doesn't it? That he would be mad that the people would be saved. But if we stop for a second, has there been somebody who's harmed you? Somebody's done you wrong? Done your family wrong? 
is your first response to go, man, I really want them to get saved, and I'm going to celebrate when they get saved. Or is a little bit your response, man, I hope God rains down some thunder on them, man. I hope he takes them out. Right? Isn't this sort of us at times as we deal with people, people we don't like, people we despise maybe? It's not easy to want the best for somebody who's harmed you. It's not easy to want the best for them. And so I think we can understand where Jonah's at if we think about it. And we don't even know quite why Jonah hated him. We, we have an idea. There, there's probably a sense of ethnic pride here. And that Jonah was an Israelite. Israelites were God's chosen people. They were at war at times with Assyria, a neighboring country. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. So certainly there's a bit of, we, we think there is a bit of, we're the chosen people, you're not. We got God's favor, you don't. We are God's chosen, you're not. We deserve it, you don't. And so there's certainly some of that. Only Israel should be the ones who are saved. There's probably a little bit too of a misplaced form of justice that Jonah had. That you had warred against our country. You had fought against us. You have fought against God's chosen people. You deserve wrath. You deserve destruction. We have to be really careful as we walk through justice that we keep it as biblical justice and not into vengeance. Don't we see that in Jonah here? It starts to go into vengeance. I don't like you. I don't like what you've done to us. I don't like what you've done to Israel. So I want you taken out. I want you destroyed. From Jonah's point of view, isn't that justice? Aren't we, aren't we thankful that God gives us biblical guidelines on even how we do justice? And we do it in the way that he does it. And we don't go beyond. We don't hope for the worst for people. But we give a gospel that teaches the best. That teaches about what Jesus has done. Because who does vengeance belong to? The Lord. Somebody's wronged you. And I, 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 know, I know we want to be made right. And when someone's wronged us. And I'm telling you, it is natural for us to want to be made right. But sometimes in this fallen world, we just won't get the right we deserve when somebody's wronged us. And we have to trust that God is good and God will be sovereign over that and God will handle things. Not everybody who's wronged me is going to suffer on this earth for having wronged me. But I trust in a good God who is just. And he will make all things right in the end. So even if that person doesn't feel the consequence of what they've done to me, I'm trusting that God will make all things right in the end. And my prayer, I've got to stick here. My prayer isn't that they're destroyed. My prayer has to be that they're made right with God and his justice brings them back to him. Amen? That's where we should be at. As a, as a people following Christ, who, yo, all of us have been unjust to someone else in our interpersonal relationships. Have we not? Have we not wronged somebody else? Aren't we thankful that God didn't destroy us when we wronged somebody else? Isn't that where we have to go? Do we have to pray for the best for them, that they would come to know Christ? This is what happens with Jonah if we let these things go without biblical guidelines. You become bitter and angry, and you start being mad that God saved them instead of thankful and celebrating that God saved them. And I know this isn't us. We wouldn't do this. 
This is only an Old Testament thing, right? It absolutely is us. It is me. And Jesus knew it would be me. He knew it would be you. He knew it would be us. Look what he says. He knew we would struggle with our enemies. We would struggle to forgive them. We would struggle to pray for them. We would want the worst for them instead of praying for their salvation. And this is what he said. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 through 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, who gets to add scripture? God gets to add scripture. Jesus is God. All right. So I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Man, you know what really got me on that those verse, looking at reading through those verses? That last part. That last part. You know, I, I know I know verses 43 and 44. I know that, and I think we concentrate on that. But look at who God is. He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Why does he leave alive the evil and the unjust? Wouldn't it be good if he just took them out? Just took them out, and then we'd be done with evil. We'd be done with injustice. He's leaving them because he might still save them. That's why. That's why he's leaving them here. Because he might yet still save them. This isn't in my notes. I, I, I thought about putting it up here. I'm just going to say it. I, I follow, uh, they're no longer a band. Actually, the lead singer, screamer, whatever you call him, um, is now a pastor at Church of Tennessee. He's a black guy. And I remember after a show, he put up a picture of a guy who was white came to their show, and this was a Christian metal band called For Today, and he would preach the gospel in every concert they ever did. Guy shows up. He just was going to a metal concert, right? He's got tattoos all over him. He's just going to a metal concert. He heard the gospel. He repented. They took a picture together. This guy had Aryan tattoos on him. He was a white supremacist. He heard a black man give the gospel. And what did the Holy Spirit do? It saved him where he was at. It didn't wait till he got rid of his tattoos. It saved him where he was at. Why did God leave him alive? So that he could hear the gospel from a guy named Matty Montgomery and become saved. For his glory. For God's glory. Amen. This is why God leaves alive the evil and the unjust. So that he may, may yet still save them. Even by ways that we would never expect. We would never expect. And praise God for Maddie Montgomery's willingness to preach the gospel. Even to a people who did not deserve it. He did not deserve it. Racists don't deserve the gospel. But yet God is still trying to save them. Isn't that great? That God's still working. And using means that we just can't understand. God, what a great God. To do that. How easy is it for us to start hating people though? Christians, I'm telling you right now, if you put down, made a list of people that it's hard to pray for, I think you would come up with a list. Maybe right now because we're in the middle of sort of a war going on overseas, maybe you'd say, man, I just, I can't pray for Vladimir Putin. Or maybe because we're in a political war in America all the time, I can't pray for a Republican, I can't pray for a Democrat. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone here. 
Might be me. I don't know. You know? Here's what I'm telling you. Pray for them. Pray for them anyways. Even when it's really difficult to pray for them. Even when they've done really wrong things. And I think what God does through us praying for others we don't really like is he starts to change our hearts towards them. Right? It's hard to hate somebody you're praying for, isn't it? It's really hard to hate somebody you're praying for. I've told this before to some of our small business owners. I pray for our small business owners here. So that when they, when God blesses their businesses and they do really well, I have no reason to be jealous or envious of that. I prayed for them to do well. How can I be envious and jealous when I prayed for that to happen? I think the same way in the hardness of our hearts towards people. And we've got to pray for them. We've got to start finding prayer, even for those that are hard to pray for. I think as a church, we, we can't adopt the hard heart of Jonah. We've got to adopt the compassionate and gracious heart of God that is saving people who don't deserve to be saved because he first saved us who did not deserve to be saved. There is an interesting part of this verse I want to call out before we move on. And I'm going to come back to it. So I want to call it out and I just want to sort of stay with you and then I'm going to come back to it. Even though Jonah's angry and Jonah doesn't have a right to be angry here, his anger is misplaced. He is still, he still at least did a good thing. And that he went to God in prayer with his anger. Right? At least that's a good thing, a good place to go. Even if it's a terrible prayer. <laughs> even if it's not a good prayer. At least he did pray. At least he did go to God with it. And so I want to keep this in mind as we go forward. Who do you run to when you're angry? Where do you go when you're angry? Where do you go when someone's wronged you and hurt you? At least Jonah went to prayer to God. So keep that in mind. Verse 2. We started with the first part. We're going to do the whole, whole verse here. Verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So let me give you the Micah Southern Version translation of this verse, the MSV. I'm angry at you, God, because you are true to your nature and save people. That's the summary of that verse. I'm mad because you're good and you save people. And it's easy to just focus on Jonah's anger here, but I will tell you something Jonah at least does right here. He shares his insight into God's character. At least he gets this right. Look at this description of God. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He is one who relents from disaster. Some versions may say he's faithful there. That's a good God. That's a good God. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithful, or one who relents from disaster. What Jonah's doing in his prayer is he's actually quoting several verses from the Old Testament about God's character. We find this same description of God in Numbers 14, 18, Proverbs 86, 5, Proverbs 86, 15, Joel 2, 13, and Exodus 34, 6. This is actually in Exodus 34, 6. This is how God described himself. It's, I think it's on the screen. Yep, 
Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is the character of God. So that's your feeling thing there, God's character. What a good God we serve. What a good God we serve. He's not just some cosmic being waiting to smite you down at every opportunity. He is a loving father who never relents in pursuing you. Whose love is steadfast, meaning it's unending, it's stuck. It is never going away. It's not going to wane. He is gracious and merciful. You know, it's by his mercy that he doesn't give us what we deserve. Because if he gave me what I deserve, I wouldn't be here. It's by his mercy he doesn't give us what we deserve. And it's by his grace he does give us what we don't deserve. Salvation. I didn't earn it. I didn't do anything good for it. But by his mercy and grace, he does that. And this is a picture of God throughout both the Old and New Testament. That from the God who spared Noah, the God who led a rebellious people to the land that he promised him, a God who relented on bringing disaster upon Israel, who deserved it. Who deserved it? I'm reading through Judges right now. They deserved every disaster God could have brought upon them because they kept falling away. And he didn't only bring disaster, he sent prophet after prophet to warn them about it. He didn't have to do that. He's a God who did not spare his son on the cross on our behalf. A God who built up his church and modeled community for us. A God who gives us instructions in his word and how to, on how to live in a way that builds us up and builds his church up. And he is a God that is coming back to redeem and save back his people and take them with them. Amen? This is the God we serve. He is the same in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. Nothing has changed. His character today is the same as it was for Jonah. That is the God we serve. And I'm telling you, Christians, we should rest and rejoice right here that this is our God. That, look, the life life is just, it's hard. The world has so many distractions. Everywhere we look around, we see wars, we see strife, we see conflict. It is easy to get brought down, but we serve Christians. We serve a God who is worthy to be praised. What can this world do to us with God on our side? Why should we let this world bring us down? You going to let me live? I'll praise Christ. You going to kill me? I'll be with the God who's great. Do whatever you want to me. Do whatever you want. What can you do to me, world? I've got this great God on my side. We must fight the distractions that keep us from looking at him, that keep us from seeing his worth, that keep us from praising him. It's on Christ that we should be focused on because he did the great work. Doesn't matter what the world throws at us. Let's keep our focus here. The world is constantly trying to distract us, trying to divide us. Not in my notes. I'm going to throw it. My daughters went had a track meet yesterday. You know the greatest thing? You know what tracks and, and cross country is the greatest sport? I grew up football, basketball, baseball. I did all that. But you want to know why track and cross country is the greatest sport? Because they cheer for each other and it doesn't matter. 
Amen. We got one, we got a track coach clapping back there. This ain't Carolina Duke. I wish both of them would have lost last night. I'm a state guy, all right? Here's the deal. It's not Carolina Duke. They are cheering each other on. You run for Piedmont. Cool, I'll cheer your own. You run for Sun Valley. I'll cheer you on. I mean, look, you just got a personal record. I don't even know what school you're from. Amen. Great. Right? Isn't that awesome? That's I love track and cross country because it sort of shows us how we should be as, as a church. We should be cheering each other on and celebrating our successes, our faithfulness, our walk with Christ together. So there you go, track coach. It's not in my notes. I just threw it out there. Even in Jonah's anger, he still had to describe God as he is. I think it's a helpful, helpful application for us to remember in our anger, God's character is still as true today as it was then. He has not changed, and we should constantly thank him for that. Constantly thank him for his character remaining true for all time, forever. So Jonah here, in verse 2, he lashes out at God. Why? Because God acted according to his nature. God has no other way to act. It is according to his nature. His nature is perfect. He has to act to his nature. But Jonah's mad about it. He's mad that God saved an undeserving people. And what does God do? Does he get angry at Jonah? Does he punish him? He should. But instead, we see what's going to be point three here. Instead, we get God's gentleness. God's gentleness. Because look, Jonah, Jonah's pretty committed to not celebrating, right? Can we just say, God, Jonah's pretty committed to not celebrating these people getting saved. But look at verses three and four. Jonah, first part. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well? To be angry. God, just let me die if you're going to save these people. And that's some grade A hate right there, right? I mean, that is some grade A hate. 100% hate. I don't want to see these people saved. And yet you saved them, so I'm angry. And I'd just rather die than watch these people turn to, your, turn to God. some hate if you're like me reading through that doesn't god have every right to punish jonah here like i don't think there'd be anything wrong with god just smashing him into the ground and going well you little ungrateful jerk i'm done with you would there be anything wrong with that here parents you know you've done this too you do something nice for your kids. It's the first thing they do. They give you some lip back. And you're like, sorry I did that now. You know, the last time I'd do something nice for you. I like you. I love you. I just don't like you very much right now. Like, we've all been there, right? This will be our response. I've done it with my kids. Right? 
God has every right to be angry with Jonah here. But what do we see from God instead? He simply reasons with Jonah. Some of your translations may say, verse 4, it may say, is there a good reason you are angry? Is there a good reason you are angry? Does it do you well to be angry? Let me go back. Isn't God asking whose inheritance is it anyway? Whose inheritance is it anyway, Jonah? Did Jonah earn being a prophet? Or did God choose him to be a prophet? Did Israel earn the favor of being God's chosen people? Or did God choose them out of his goodness and glory? Vengeance belongs to the Lord, but also, who does salvation belong to? The Lord. It's his goodness that chooses to save a people. Whose inheritance is it anyways? And here in this part, we see the gentleness of God. The kindness of a loving father. Slow to anger. Aren't we glad God is slow to anger in our lives? Slow to anger. What he's doing here is he's patiently sitting a son down and reasoning with him. Not scolding him so much as he's making really making him really think, am I justified in my anger? Am I justified to be angry at this? And does it do me well? This is good application for all of our interpersonal relationships, isn't it? To be slow to anger. To reason with each other. I've had a ton of questions in the last six months of my life from young fathers. Because I'm, my my girls are all middle school and high school now. And so I'm dealing with stuff. And I get these questions from young dads like, oh, how do you deal with that? How do you you deal with this? I think there's great application here for us young dads. So let me speak to young dads for just a second. Maybe old dads too. I don't know. And this applies to all relationships, but I'm just speaking to the guys who've been asking me questions. Fathers, we would be wise to learn from this approach. We would be wise to learn from this approach. It is easy to get caught up in the emotion of the moment. And all of a sudden you're caught up in the emotion of a moment And your house has turned into chaos. And everybody's mad at each other. Everybody's screaming and crying. I might have seen it a time or two in our house. All right? I might have even called it a time or two in our house, okay? I don't know. Maybe. Probably. Uh, My wife's back there smiling, so I think so. I've seen it a time or two. I've done it a time or two. Instead, fathers, if you're asking me, How do you navigate through these things? Moms, this applies to whatever. Calm voice. Reason. Love them well at this moment. Look, there's nothing wrong, dads. Taking this knee, getting right in their face and saying, does it do you well to be angry? Is your outburst reasonable? Isn't it good to return anger with gentleness? How much would this world be different if we returned anger 
hatred with gentleness. How many people would be saved if we'd be willing to take this position? How much different would the world be? Dads, take that position. I guarantee you the whole situation will change. And I know, I know as I'm saying that, hit me this morning to add this part. I know some of you have not had dads that treated you like that. You've not had fathers that have treated you well. And so you don't know what that's like. You don't know what that's like. But I'm telling you, your God, our God, does treat you like that. And that way, who's done that? You have a dad doing that right now. He is called God the Father. And he is loving you well and saying, is your outburst reasonable? Does it do you well to be angry, my child? You can learn from this. We should learn from this. There's no reason for Jonah to be angry here. Absolutely no reason. God acted true to his nature. God saved the people who didn't deserve to be saved. Why should he be angry here? How easy is it to let your circumstances turn to anger towards God? God, how dare you let my mom die of cancer? God, how dare you let my wife get brain tumors? How dare you let that person treat me like that, God? God, how dare, how dare you let somebody else get that promotion? That was mine. How dare you not let me get a good grade on a test? I studied hard for it. And I don't doubt that there are some here today that are sitting here angry with God because of something that's happened to you. I know. I know. Because it's easy to get angry at God. Let me give you some places you don't turn to in your anger. Don't turn to the TV. Don't turn to the TV. Don't turn and go Google your favorite blogger and find somebody who's saying exactly what you want to hear. Right? Because that's what we do. We take a side in something. We go Google exactly what we want to hear. We find somebody that says exactly what we believe and we share it. I've done it too. I know. I'm an expert. All right? Let me say something that's cultural right here. The place we don't turn to is deconstructing our faith. What we need right here is not deconstruction. We need instruction in our faith. That's what we need. We don't need to run from God. We don't need to question God. We need to turn to God and take his word as it says. His word is true. He is good. He is gentle. We can run to him. We don't need to deconstruct from him. We need to be instructed by him. It's a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing. So church, I'm telling you, let's not deconstruct. Let's instruct instead. Where do you turn? So where do you turn when you're angry at God? Jonah actually gives us some pretty good guardrails or, or places to turn, I would say, when we're angry at God. They're going to be up on the, on the board, and we'll talk about them for a second. We turn to his word, and we pray honestly to him. 
Don't we see this in Jonah's prayer? We turn to his word. We read about his character. We remind ourselves that his word is true, and he is today as he has been, as he always has been, as he always will be. It was a good guardrail for us to see from Jonah, even in the sort of wrongness of his prayer at the beginning of it. How did he turn in his prayer? What did he do? He quoted scripture in his prayer. He quoted about God's nature and God's character in his prayer. We know God by his word. We know we need to be instructed in his word. Right? And this is where our prayers should be. It's a good thing to pray scripture. It's a good thing to remind yourself to read scripture and then just pray it right back to God. You're praying his words back to him about the truths that he gave you in the first place. It's a good thing. So we see that in Jonah. We see we turn to his word. And then we pray honestly to him. I'm not saying Jonah's prayer was great, but I will say Jonah's prayer was honest. At least he's honest with God. It's not some like, not some sweet little prayer like, oh God, just please help everybody. Okay, amen. Like we don't see that in Jonah. That's nice. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm just saying we see God, I'm mad at you for this. I told you this was going to happen and I'm praying right now back to you because I'm mad at you. At least it's honest. Here's the thing about it. God's big enough to handle your honesty. If you're hurting, go to him. He's a big God. He's, a, he's capable. He's capable of handling your hurt and your anger. And he's gentle with his people, even in our anger. Don't we see that with your own Jonah? Jonah deserved to be just swatted, smashed. And God was gentle with him in his response. God is gentle with your anger. He will be gentle with you. Be upset about your circumstance. Circumstances just are. They just are. There's no reason we shouldn't at times be upset about them. But where do we go when we're upset about them? We turn to God and honestly turn to God. And I think it's these solid guardrails that Jonah gives us on how to approach God in our anger. It's by his word and it's directly to him in prayer. I'm going to share this. I told Ryan today. I've, um, I'm now the only pastor who hasn't cried on stage. So I got I to hold to that today. All right? I'm the only one. I'm holding to that fast today. So help me God. I, I got to stay right here. I'm kidding. If I, if I cry, I cry. It is what it is. Jesus wept. We all can. It's, it's, it's all right. And I have my wife's permission to talk about this. My wife was angry at God. She was angry at God. Because she had brain tumors, three of them. And she was angry at God. How, how could I have brain tumors at 40 years old? And possibly a genetic disorder causing these that we could have passed on to our kids. How could I have that? How dare you, God, let that circumstance happen to me? Right? Isn't that what the culture says? How dare you, God? Isn't this why people deconstruct? Because they see this. They don't know how to deal with these circumstances. They go, well, I'm just going to run from it. Instead, instead, I saw my wife read her Bible entirely. 
from Genesis to Revelation. We dealt with this for three years, 2016 through 2018, when she was first diagnosed to win um, by the good doctors at Duke, took them out. She read through her Bible. She went to his word. She wrote down things that the Bible said about God. She had a little journal. And she was reading scripture and it said something about God's character and God's nature. She would write it down to remind herself of who he is, of his nature, of how good he is. She took him at his word. She took him at his word. And she prayed to him honestly in her hurt. She said, why God? Why me? Why my children? It's one thing for things to happen to you. It's another when your children are on the line. Why God? And God was gentle throughout it, and she grew in her faith. He was gentle throughout it, and she grew in her faith. In the worst time of her life, she grew. He is abounding in steadfast love. He never once turned his back on her. He gave her strength when she had none left. When she was at the end of herself, she couldn't answer why. She couldn't explain it. She couldn't understand it. We had a perfect middle-class life up to this point, right? Everything's going great. Everything goes great till you get a diagnosis. I'm telling you right now, everything goes great till you get a diagnosis. And then it, it's just hard. But he never once turned his back on her. And he gave her strength when she had none left. I have a feeling. It hit me when I was preparing for this. I think there's some here today, right here, right now, questioning. Why, God? Why have you allowed this to happen to me? Why is this allowed to happen to my family? Why? I mean, you're hurt. Maybe you're angry at God. Maybe you're angry about the circumstance. You may even feel abandoned right now. And like Jonah, you're mad about it. You're mad about it. I'm not going to tell you to pretend it doesn't happen. To pretend your anger away. Just put on a smiley face to go through life. What I'm going to tell you is to give us the guard, do the guardrails that Jonah give us. Go to his word. Go to his word. Trust that he is good and pray about it. Pray honestly. Tell God exactly where you're hurting and exactly where you're angry. He is a good and big God. And let me share this with you. Jesus knows your hurt. He knows exactly where your hurt is. 
Who had to suffer through an ailment? Getting nailed to the cross is quite the ailment, isn't it? And he endured, not, let me put it this way. He endured for our sake. He endured for our sake. He knows what it's like to be alone and in pain. And yet, and yet, he stayed on the cross. He didn't leave us. He didn't forsake us. He didn't run away from us. He didn't turn away from us. He stayed on the cross so the sinners may yet be saved. Amen? I don't know what you're going through. I can't explain it. I don't know why. What I do know, and I have every being in my life tells me this. Everything tells me this. His word tells me this. I trust his word to be true. I know this is the case. He loves you and he is gentle with you in whatever you're going through. And he will not turn his back on you. If you cry out to him, he is there listening. I don't know how he's going to answer. I cried for my mom. I prayed for my mom to be healed from cancer. And she is. Just not the way I thought it might be. God healed her. Bottom line, he didn't turn his back on her. She's in heaven with him right now. I'll see her again one day, but not now because God had a different plan. I have family members that came back to church because of what she went through. That is his sovereign plan. I'm okay with it. It was worth it because he's worth it. His sovereignty is worth it, and he is good, and I trust him in it. He loves you. He is gentle. I pray you'll call out to him right now. If you're hurting, the place to go is him and his word. If you need to talk, I'll be at the back. You can see I I just try to live as transparently as I do. We try to live our sort of lives out here so you can see as we are. If you're hurting and you got nowhere else to turn, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to call you names. I'm going to love you right where you're at. Isn't this an example of Christ did for us, of loving us exactly where we were at? So if you need to talk, I'll be at the back. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Father, just, man. So thankful that you are a God who has never once given up on us. That you have relentlessly pursued us. And Father, even in our sins, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. He saved us from the destruction that we deserved and we earned. Father, I am so thankful and grateful for the salvation for Christ. That doing what I couldn't do. Father, I'm more like Ninevites than I want to be honest about. And my heart was more hard like Jonah than I want to be honest about. But Father, you saw through it. And you loved me yet. And you were gentle with me yet. So Father, I pray and right now as there are people here who are hurting and they don't understand and the circumstances of life have come at them And they don't know why the Father, 
you reach out to them right now and stir them by your Holy Spirit. Just Holy Spirit, just reach out to them and just grab them right where they're at and let them know your presence, that you're real. And Father, that you will just absolutely revolutionize, revolutionize their understanding of you right now, that they will feel your presence, that they will feel your wooing here, that they will come to know you, come to love you. Father, we are grateful to be a people living in this grace, in this mercy. Father, if we go forward, let us remember the one we worship, the one who has earned our salvation for us. And let us tell people about that. In Jesus' name, amen.